We speak responsibly the psalm of the day, Psalm 26. And again, I remind you that this is the basis for the message this morning. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me, and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. The epistle lesson appointed for this Sunday is from the book of Romans, the 12th chapter. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for Jesus, we rise to hear the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Will grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is Psalm 26, an ancient hymn of faith written by King David. I'd like to read it to you once again. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and test me. Refine my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and I go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow believers in him. When I was reading those words of King David, did you think, is David insane? I mean, is he arrogant? I mean, is he a fool? I mean, who in their right mind stands before God, our judge, and commands, vindicate me, plead my cause, examine me, Try me, purify me, test my heart and my mind. I mean, he says, I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. I mean, is David so self-righteous or self-confident or deluded that he seriously thinks that God will vindicate him? I don't think any of us, including David, want God to test what goes on in our minds, or to examine the inner workings of our hearts. Many of you will be familiar with the words of Jesus when Jesus said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. (laughs) These are what defile a person. And so, yes, we don't want God poking around and examining our heart, do we? And we began our service this morning with the confession from another psalm, Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? 
And of course, the implication with that question is that no one can stand before the Lord if he kept a record of our sins. But the rest of that verse says, but with you, there is forgiveness, and therefore, you are feared. If you know the story of David, you know that he who composed this ancient hymn was not blameless. One might even say that he wavered in his faith on countless times. I mean, David had multiple wives. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband to cover up his adulterous relationship with her. He ordered the death of hundreds, if not thousands, of people during his reign as king. If the Lord kept a record of David's sins, David would be convicted and condemned. But with the Lord, there is forgiveness. And a repentant David received that forgiveness, God's forgiveness, firsthand. So what does David mean when he says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Well, let's make it very clear. First and foremost, David is not denying or excusing away his sin. David is a realist. And he understands and he laments the fact that he's inherited the curse of sin. It is in fact because he's all too familiar with his sinfulness, with his damning predicament, with his inclination to rebel against God, that he asked God to judge him. That he asked God to examine him, to test him, to refine him. Because he wants God to detect and kill every inclination of sin that he might have. David not only acknowledges his sin, but he also acknowledges that despite his personal struggle with sin, he has tried to walk in the ways of the Lord. Like devoted followers before him and devoted followers of the Lord after him, David loved the Lord. He tried to serve his God. One of his heart's desire was to build the Lord a beautiful temple, a house of worship. And maybe realizing the weakness of his own flesh, David refused to associate with with hypocrites and liars. He didn't jump on the bandwagon and worship the latest bad God. David wanted nothing to do with people who manipulated and changed God's words to suit their own personal agendas and beliefs and biases. No, David embraced a set of beliefs and practices based upon God's word in contrast to those who believed and practiced otherwise. And he says, God, vindicate my decision. Show me that it is right. Show me that what I believe is true and according to your word. And if there's any way that I've deviated away from you, then please draw me back. Shape me to believe what it is that you would have me believe and to practice what you would have me practice. There's an example in David's life that illustrates this. King Saul 
was intimidated by David. He was intimidated because David was the appointed heir to the throne, and Saul was bent on trying to capture David and to kill him. Well, there was this one occasion where David had every opportunity to assassinate Saul, but he chose not to do it. Instead, when Saul left the cave where David was hidden, David went out to Saul and he said to Saul, I could have killed you. I had every opportunity to do so. I could have taken the throne. But then he said these words, But may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. In other words, he was saying, Saul, you've chosen a certain way to lead and govern this nation, and I have chosen to lead and govern it in a different way. You have chosen to believe this, I have chosen to believe this, and now we're going to let God decide who is correct. Well, let's talk about us for a few moments. Would you agree that if God kept a record of our sin, that we would be found guilty? That our mind and our heart are poisoned by sin? That our inclination is to rebel against the Lord? Do you also, though, believe that because of Christ, God forgives you of all of your sin? And that he remembers it no more. Do you honestly hold in your heart that you're acquitted of the sins that you've committed because of what Christ did for you and for me and all the world when he died on the cross? And as disciples of Christ, are we not striving by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of integrity? One that is wholly devoted to our Lord to love and to serve and obey Him. Because of the Lord's call in our life, do we not find ourselves in conflict, out of step with other people and with the society at large? Do we not find that our views of the world and our beliefs and the values that we have and the practices that we, that we carry out are competing with the worldview held by so many others, a worldview held by so many others, beliefs that are out of step with God's, God of what He has revealed to us in His Word. And do we find that our values and our behavior is increasingly different from the pagan world in which we live? Well, if so, then we are experiencing a situation very similar to that of King David. Martin Luther commenting on verse 1 of this ancient hymn, Psalm 26 says, and I quote from Luther, God must hold court on earth. There is a dispute, enmity, and disunity in the world between the true preachers of the word and the false preachers of the world. And there's no one who will or can silence this dispute or resolve it except the divine word. That alone must decide here and be the arbiter or judge. There is no other counsel or help in this matter than to look to heaven, sigh, and pray God to be the judge in this matter. As we stand on one side of the battlefield and we look across the field to the menacing forces that are lining up against us, we might find ourselves saying, may the Lord 
be our judge and decide between us. May the Lord consider our cause and uphold it. May the Lord vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Or in the words of our text, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked with integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Yes, ultimately we let the Lord decide, don't we? Of whether or not our life has been one in line with his word and his ways. But now, back to David. As I mentioned a few moments ago, David is all too aware of his sin. Of his inclination to be wayward, to act on his sinful impulses. And if he's going off track, he prays that God will set him straight. And hence the reason David says in verse 2 of our text, examine me, test me, refine me, smelt me. Smelt my heart and my kidneys is literally the word, but translated in our English as mind. Refine my heart and my mind. Again, I found Luther quite intriguing in his comments on this text when he says, it is as though he, David, were saying the doctrine is pure, And there's nothing lacking in the word and preaching. The heart is right too. But at the same time, I still continue to feel the evil way and nature of the flesh. Nothing but pride, evil, lust, hate, and envy still cling to my flesh. But especially the subtle poison of ambition is just under the surface. This sin has often trapped even those who grasp God's word purely. Therefore, David says, prove me, examine me. It is as though he said, take hold of me, give me something to do, impose shame and persecution on me, cross and need upon me. You see, David actually is praying in this ancient hymn of faith that God would purify him of his sinful desires, lest he become guilty of pride and self-righteousness or immorality, or that he should embrace any other number of vices. David later writes in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. David prays that God would examine him. That he would test him. And that testing is not always pleasant. The testing that David asked God to do in his life is is to prove the quality of his character, to keep him strong in the faith, to remain focused on the prize that is granted to all of us at the end of life, and that is eternal life with our Lord. And so he says, test me. This word is used in Genesis 22, verse 1, where we read, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And you know how it was that God tested Abraham? God said to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. Quite a test. One that really tested the quality of the character and the faith of Abraham. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, again, that same word is used. And it says, remember how the Lord your God led you all in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Think of what it was the Israelites went through as they went through that wilderness experience. Countless testings. 
to prove the genuineness of their character and faith. David says, refine me, smelt me. Yes, it's the, he's talking about the process of smelting gold or silver. And he's saying, God, put me through a test that will really help me grow, that will get rid of all of the problems that I have in my life, all of that sin that still clings to me. This word refine or smelt is used in numerous places in the Old Testament in referring to God drawing people back to him, people who had gone wayward, now coming back to him because of the refining that's going on in their life. So in Isaiah 48, it says, See, I've refined you. This is what God says. See, I've refined you, though not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. Yes, God has his people go through a furnace of affliction so that they might grow and develop the character of their faith and trust in him. It's interesting, as I was looking at this text, that many of these words that David uses are picked up later on by St. Peter in his first letter, where he writes, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. How might God be refining, testing you? What are you learning about yourself and about God as a result of these hardships and adversities that you're going through? How do you see the Lord using these tests, these trials, these examinations to prove the genuineness of your faith so that you might ultimately praise and glorify God for his salvation in Christ? For whatever reason, this past week I've been focused on listening to the song by Laura Story. It just popped up in my, in my uh, feed one day. Maybe some of you are familiar with the story of Lori, Laura Story. A number of years ago, she composed a song called Blessing. And she composed this song as her husband was facing really serious surgery. He had a brain tumor. The prognosis was not good. There was a chance that he could die on the operating table. From what I understand from reading online, the surgery spared his life. He's alive today. But her husband, Martin, suffers from acute memory loss and has significant vision problems. Laura wrote the the song, Blessings, in light of all of that great struggle she was enduring and her husband was enduring. And instead of shaking her fist at God for what had been dealt to her and her husband, instead of despairing of the Lord, she penned these words, and I only quote a few of them. Maybe I'll post this song on the Facebook page later today. But she wrote, We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. 
We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. All the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we would have faith to believe. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds his heart that this is not our home. What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your mercies in disguise? Yes, you see, David asked the Lord to bring trials and tribulations into his life so that he might remain focused on that which is of importance to God. And God also brings trials and tribulations into our life, like he did with Laura's story and her husband, so that they and us might stay focused on that which is of truly importance to us. And that is our relationship with the Lord here in this world and for all eternity. And that is why David goes on in verse 3 to stay for, say, For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. When we're experiencing examinations, when we're going through trials and tribulations, when our faith is being tested and refined, it's so imperative that we keep God's favor and friendship before our eyes. To remember that even though the circumstances of life may be suggesting otherwise, that God indeed is a God of love and mercy, and that he is gracious, and that he is using these trials and tribulations to help us grow in our faith, to stay focused on his forgiveness and to rejoice in the fact that he is doing wondrous things in our life and that we have this promise of everlasting life with him. And so it's as we go through these trials and tribulations that we focus on the cross of Jesus. We focus on his love and his sacrifice for us. It's at such times as this that we rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because we know that death itself is not victorious over us but that death is just a portal for us to enter into the glories of heaven. And as we go through these times and as we focus on the grace of God and we trust in his word, he sees us through. He sees us through to the end and he receives us with open arms or he will receive us with open arms at the end of our life and he'll say, come and abide with me forever. Yes, David not only focuses on the grace of God and on God's truth, but he also says I, in verse 4, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. As I read these words, I penned in my, on my paper, Beware of the company you keep. It's so easy to be drawn in to the mob. I mean, we live in the world but we don't have to conform to it. We don't have to embrace its ways. Oh, there is a pressure for us to conform. There always is. But instead, David reminds us in this, in this word that no, don't sit with men of falsehood. Don't consort with hypocrites. Hate the assembly of the evildoers. Don't sit with the wicked. 
There was a cartoon I saw many years ago with two people standing in hellfire. And the one says to the other, I heard I was supposed to go with the flow, but no one told me that this is where I would end up. Like David, resist going with the flow. Instead, embrace the truths and the ways of the Lord. Verse 6 and 7 and 8. I wash my hands in innocence and I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. See, instead of sitting with the scoffers and the hypocrites, David declares the, with thanksgiving all of the things that God has blessed him with. He, he gives thanks to God for his mercy and grace. He gives thanks to God for God's faithfulness to him and to the people of Israel. And he gives thanks in such a way that he proclaims this, this thanksgiving to other people so that he might draw them into worshiping the true God with him as well. And so David, through these words, is encouraging us to also give thanks to God for all that he has done for us and not to be ashamed or, or hidden in our faith, but to proclaim his good news with thanksgiving so that other people might be drawn to worship him with us. Did you recognize verse 8 of our text? It's spoken in our matins service or chanted in our matins service. After each scripture reading is read, the lector chants, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly set in the heavens, and the congregation responds, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And again, the lector says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And the congregation responds, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. And the lectors chants again, Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And the congregation responds, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Not only do we offer up thanksgiving and praise to God and declare it to those out there, so to speak, but we love to come into the habitation of our Lord, into the house of the Lord, and to rejoice in His glory. For David, the glory was the Ark of the Covenant that was located in the tabernacle. And he would rejoice in that Ark of the Covenant because it reminded him of God's mercy. It reminded him that God was present in his midst. For us, the glory is being in the temple of the Lord. And what is the temple of the Lord? Well, it's not just this sanctuary. Although it's wonderful to come into this habitation of the Lord, for we know His glory dwells here because He speaks to us in His Word. And He reminds us of our baptism. And He comes to us in the, in the Lord's Supper. But His glory is wherever He speaks to us in His Word. And that's why we say in the Matins, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Because we know that the glory of the Lord is in that word. He speaks to us in that word of his love and his forgiveness. He points us to Christ on the cross. He points us to the empty tomb. He points us to our baptism and says, there you became my child. He points us to the Lord's Supper and says, there you partake of the very body and blood of Christ given for you. And so we love the place, the house where our glory, where the Lord's glory dwells. And then finally, with King David, verses 9 through 12, we pray, Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. 
in whose hands are evil desires and whose right hand are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. For my, my foot stands on level ground. In a great assembly, I will bless the Lord. David's prayer, in your prayer and mine, is this. Please, Lord, do not bring the death of the wicked on me. May my lot in life not be one of eternal damnation. But God, but God, redeem me. Redeem me for my sin. Redeem me by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Be gracious to me, O Lord. Be merciful to me. For I know I do not deserve your mercy, but in Christ my sins are forgiven. I believe this. Lord, set my feet on level ground. May I trust your word today, tomorrow, and forever. So that's an ancient hymn of faith. Psalm 26. A word for today. It's a word that I think we can resonate with. Because we too go through this life tested and tried in our faith often wondering where the Lord is in it all but David reminds us that God who is merciful and gracious is ever by our side and that in fact he is using those very trials and tribulations to draw us ever closer to him keeping our eyes focused on his grace and forgiveness and ensuring that we will not become wayward but instead we will receive the gift of everlasting life. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.